Good evening and welcome to Trial by Fire podcast. This is Rachel and Stacy. Stacy, how are you today? Pretty good. We're trying the nighttime thing. We are. Both our schedules are so wonky this semester, but night is working for us. So fingers crossed this sticks. I know. And now I have to repent because apparently I lied to our audience last time when I said that we were getting on the train and we were going to be like every two weeks. <laughs> I don't even want to see the timestamp from the, or the date stamp from the last podcast. So. I don't either. I don't either. But we've missed you and we're glad that we get to be with you for a part of Advent, my favorite season. Uh, so let's just get into gear. Stacy, you got the opening yeah, prayer for us? I do. And I should say as a consolation that when I do goof off and I'm not here for the podcast, the good news is is that that actually means that the church is not shut down because I'm busy in other areas. Very so it true. Is, it is semi-positive. Yeah, we'll be both giving updates on what we've been up to, and our parish has been fun and busy, so um, we're looking forward to sharing that with you today. All right, so let's get started. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Today our opening prayer is Psalm 126. When the Lord delivered Zion from bondage, it seemed like a dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. On our lips there were songs. The heathens themselves said, What marvels the Lord had worked for them! What marvels the Lord worked for us! Indeed we were glad. Deliver us, Lord, from our bondage, as streams in a dry land. Those who are sowing in tears will sing when they reap. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. All right. Well, I picked 126 today, Psalm 126 today, because, you know, I think it's interesting um, when the psalmist is talking about how the Lord delivers us from our bondage, and it seems like a dream. Um, last year, if we backtrack, I know that seems like a long time ago, but, and I actually remember doing this, by the way, which is even more surprising. I talked about being an Advent loser. And I'm, I'm still an Advent loser, but I did something kind of different this Advent. And um, before anyone calls my bishop when I say this next thing, just hear me out. Instead of focusing on the upcoming birth of Christ, which I kind of have issues with celebrating Christmas, with like um, in the sense that I never feel like I'm fully prepared, like I do, um, you know, for Lent. And it's just a personal thing. I just have a hard time uh, doing it. I never feel like I do it justice or that my preparation is adequate. This year, for some reason, I had this weird thought that what if I was preparing for the second coming? I mean, technically, I know we all are, right? Right. But I started thinking about it in in kind of that uh, trend of thought, that line of thinking. Like, what if I was preparing for the second coming? What if I knew that it was going to be December 25th, 2021? How would I prepare? And would I be prepared? So uh, the question, the answer is I'm not going to be prepared, by the way. I agree for but, myself, too. <laughs> I am so not prepared if I'm you're going to answer that. But it was a different way to think about things for me. And for me, it was actually really fruitful when I went to Mass. I mean, I, I know we still have, um, what, one more Sunday mm-hmm. before uh, we get there. Um but it was a neat opportunity because also, I mean, honestly, we have all four weeks this year of Christmas. You know, we're not, it's not cut short, the four weeks of Advent. So it was just something that I did that was a little different. I incorporated uh, definitely into my morning prayer. I incorporated it into my evening prayers also. And it was just a different way to focus. So I know it's kind of a weird off the wall idea. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like everyone has to jumpstart their advent differently. Um, I will admit, usually I'm all about Christmas and advent and all those things. And this year I took a dose of the advent loser train. I did not, I have been so behind in preparation, um, even down to just like my own mindset. When I woke up, I woke up exhausted from all the worries I had in my personal and professional life. Just for the past, since Advent started. Um, I, weirdly enough, um, I went and our teenagers had a very successful Advent retreat 
And normally you'd be feeling like, oh, I feel so prepared, all these things. I think I wanted to sleep for like eight, like 18 hours after just because it was just seeing all their growth got me so sleepy. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, whoa, this is a lot. Uh, and then it just kicked into high gear with my college students and everything in grad school and things like that. Um, so I feel like I'm very fortunate. Uh, this week is my finals week for my college students. So I did some like backtracking with Lent and started really doing like almost an intensive reflection and went back to the weeks that I was too busy to prioritize that time for. And, um, funny enough, um, it came as a joke with my sister. Um, my sister always loves, dressing up for the right weeks at mass. And this past Sunday was Gadante Sunday. And correct me if I said that wrong, but I always tease her. I said, Oh, it's al dente Sunday, like the pasta. And she gets super ticked off. Like, no way. That's not what it's called. I'm like, I don't know. Al dente pasta. And just that really silly, dumb joke, uh, challenged me emotionally to be like, okay, I'm so not prepared. I can't believe it's pink week. And I was just, you know, it's been a lot of intentional focus, especially while I've been driving to really reflect on the Advent season and preparation. So when Stacy was like, if to December 25th, 2021, the newborn savior would arrive, I'd be like, oops. <laughs> not ready when it when try to send some amazon packages over to that stable be like what's up but that's where well, i'm at and just so you know to clarify i actually didn't think about it in the in terms of the nativity as in christ being born this tw- this 25th i actually thought about it as christ's return on the 25th Ooh. Because to me, it's that I think that honestly, if if I'm being 100 honest with well, with our listeners, with you, and with myself, um, I think part of my struggle for Advent is is not celebrating Christmas. It's not like the family time or the gifts or the Christmas masses or anything like that. It's I just never feel like I can, I'm adequately prepared to kind of embrace the birth of Christ. Not, not because I'm a denier or something like that. Yeah. You know, um, just, I don't know. I just feel like I'm, I'm never fully prepared. And I don't know where I got the idea to think about it like that. But then the more and more I thought about it, it's actually not as crazy or weird of an idea as it sounds if you really think about it for a little while. Because, um, you know, oftentimes we have communal penance services during Lent. I mean, you really encourage, if you think about it, you really encourage to start your new year. I mean... Everybody has, you know, the cliche, like, New Year's resolutions. But technically, you know, that our church, our new liturgical year has started. So if we're starting off in Advent with a great confession, you think about it, we're actually starting off our year right. And and that's one step in the right direction if you're, you know, you're going to try to think about it like I was thinking about it. Because, um, you know, I wanted to, if he was coming back, if I knew, I mean, what would be the first thing I would do? Actually, me personally, I would run the confession. But anybody that knows me really well <laughs> knows that that's not that surprising of an answer. But just because, well, I mean, honestly, if you've been working in your yard all day and you're having like a supper at your house, don't you like take a shower and put different clothes on? You know what I'm saying? Like if you knew Christ was okay. coming again, you would want to be super prepared. You want to be your soul, right? It's Absolutely. Kind of like, it's kind of like metaphorical, but you'd want to be super clean. And what's the number one way to do that? Especially think about it. If you knew and you had the opportunity to present yourself with the least amount of sins possible. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, would. it makes total sense. It makes total sense to go that pathway. Um, I did. Um, that's one thing St. Patrick's did a really beautiful job of this week was offering a communal penance service uh, with, uh, we, I believe we had five priests able yeah. to go and uh, provide that sacrament. And what's really interesting about that is for me, and I've mentioned this in prior podcasts, uh, I struggle with confessions sometimes. Not that I've ever done, you know, recently been doing anything too, like, insanely sinful, but it's almost that idea of, like, going for that punishment, and you're like, ooh, 
even though that's not what the sacrament is about, it's almost like that um, fear, that punitive response from the Holy Father, right? And you're getting that intercession from the priest giving advice or guidance, and then you're, you're receiving your penance. Uh, but I almost like developed this anxiety. And this year was a little different because, um, like I said, my students are in finals. I had no intention of going uh, to the service because I was really busy. It had been storming. So I was just like, all these things were like, no, no, no. It was horrible. It was so bad. And then I got a call from one of our amazing volunteers here with our team program. And she had never done a confession before. And so she was like, you know, I really, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm over, I think I'm overthinking. And I was sitting there and suddenly this whisper told me like, you should go to mass. And I was like in the middle of bonds and I'm like, okay, I'm going to see if I can get over there. And I wasn't going to put too much pressure. And of course, like, how does it work? The whole path, like the rain had lifted slightly. I was able to unload my groceries really fast. I even like got a little snack before I left. Everything worked to where I had no excuses. And the only excuse I was going to give myself was that I was in this really competitive football picks and being like, oh, the game's on. And then I checked the picks. I was number one. So it's not like I was even in a position where I had to really fight for the game, win or lose. I was still going to be number one for my fantasy team. So I was like, oh, like, was like a, even all the excuses I would have given myself, I couldn't fit. And so I ended up going and it was so beautiful to watch everyone in that same vision to be like, they want to be so prepared for the coming of Christ to be like, okay, I'm going to offer it up my sin and be forgiven. And for my peer who was receiving it first time, she was so cute. She like had her little practice sheet and looked at the bulletin and her stuff and was really reflective. And it was, it was just wonderful to see that from all ages, we're all offering up sin and we're all aiming to be forgiven uh, especially in this time of preparation so it was pretty great i think it's a great way to begin your lent and you know um i think those communal penance services give a lot of hope to people who are not uh maybe frequent penitents um and it provides really a source of comfort that they can walk in um even though it shouldn't be this way, it, it's just the way it is. They can walk in and actually confess to someone that's, that they don't see on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's not their pastor or their associate, Yeah, which is a sense of comfort for many people. But, um, yeah, I think confession is a great way to start off the Advent season, even though we had ours, you know, on week three. But um, it's still... I mean, it's still a great way. Well, I'll say this. I had a question for you because I was trained many, many years ago with when I had my first Holy, uh, Holy communion and reconciliation a long time ago, but I've noticed this new trend in confession. And I want to see if this is just new or if this was a change. Um, but I was, you know, trained that, you know, when you go, you're offering up your greatest sin or the thing that you you want the most forgiven for, and then your sins are forgiven. However, lately I've been going and doing that. And the priest always goes, is that all you're confessing? And, I, you know, I've gone to different priests and they all say that. I go, man, do they just know I have a laundry list of extra things I did wrong? Uh, <laughs> I've been talking about it and I asked a friend of mine, she goes, I've noticed that too. They've been asking if I have more things to offer up, like a list. And so almost like a naughty list. I just want to know, have you been experiencing that too? Well, I think... Gosh, without being too incriminating to certain people, there is definitely a false, or not a false, let me back backtrack for a second. There is definitely an erroneous, I would call it, catechesis when it comes to the sacrament of confession. And for one, you can de- you can call it uh, penit- the sacrament of penance, the sacrament of confession, or the sacrament of reconciliation. All three are acceptable um, because all three are exactly what it is. You confess your sins. You have to do penance and you are reconciled with God, right? So all those, all three of those are correct verbiage and appropriate terms. When we go to make a confession, um, I often tell people, because obviously you're supposed to go at least once a year. The church asks you to go once a year. Um, obviously, if you're conscious of mortal sin, you should be going because you're not supposed to present yourself to, for the reception of the Holy Eucharist if you are conscious of uh, grave or mortal sin. So that bars you from communion. Right. And the only way 
to restore that is through a sacramental confession that involves a priest. Okay, so we got that out of the way. In order to make a valid confession, you have to confess everything you have done, everything that is on your soul. So you need to confess everything since your last confession. So your last confession was November 1st, right? You were confessing uh, everything you've done wrong since November 1st. If uh, when you're in the confessional, let's say you lied, right? But you don't say that because you forgot. Once the priest gives absolution and you go into your penance, that's actually forgiven because you legitimately forgot. However, if you're like, I don't want to say I lied because it's very embarrassing, and you will withhold that, it's an invalid confession. Now, sometimes one thing, one of the things that will happen is that people will go and make their confession, and they will forget to confess something for whatever reason, right? But not, uh, it's honestly, it's just a mistake. It's not like they purposely withheld the sin. And after, you know, they maybe like, you know, sometimes as soon as, as they walk out the confessional, or maybe when they're doing their penance, or maybe in the next day, they remember, oh, you know what? I should have confessed that I forgot. And it weighs on them and bugs them. And a lot of times, even though it's forgiven, the next time they go back to confession, they'll say, you know, Father, I didn't withhold this last time, but I did forget to mention it. And I just kind of like to mention it now. And that's fine. But we need to not, you know, when I said an erroneous uh, catechesis out there is that there is this nuanced kind of, we do have a lot of listeners in California, so I'm not going to call it California Catechism because I'll probably <laughs> alienate people. But I have never experienced it on the level I have until living on the West Coast that, hey, you want to make a good confession, you just go in, you hit like, you know, two to five or your biggest sins, and then you're good. Well, no, because obviously if I do that, I, then I'm picking two or five that are the least embarrassing to me. You know, I work for the church. If when I went to communion and I took a couple ones out of the um the collection plate, <laughs> that would be embarrassing for me to confess, right? So of course, in my humanity, I would I would definitely want to leave that off my mm-hmm. list, right? So you can't do that. You have to make the best confession that you possibly can, and that means recalling everything that you've done since your last confession. Um. The one thing that I've noticed we've kind of went in this direction is that, and this probably could be just because of the times, because now you have people, you have lay people who are actually certified as spiritual directors. Um, but, you know, before there were many lay people who actually went to priests for spiritual direction. Okay. And I noticed that a lot of times uh, they try to um, tell people like, you know, your confession is not a counseling session. Is not for spiritual direction. If you need something like that, then it's best that you make an appointment. Mm-hmm. The drawback with that, I think, is that, you know, there are people who go to confession all the time, whatever their frequency is. It, it tends to be it just not with absolute certainty, uh, but the norm kind of, or the majority of the people that attend a penance service, excuse me, are normally not, um, say, like very, very frequent penitents. And the way that I think it's harmful to promote that kind of mentality is that um, your confession should take as long as it needs you to take. I understand not getting, you know, counseling in confession. Yeah. Because that's not what the sacrament is for. But at the same time, it's difficult for some people. If you, you know, I I tell people all, all the time, and I know I've probably said it before on the podcast numerous times, that, you know, confession is like anything else we do. The more we do it, the better we are at it, right? If you're only going once or twice a year, I mean, can you imagine? I, I per, I'm not saying this from a judgmental perspective, but I couldn't imagine trying to sit only once or twice a year and think of everything I've done wrong. I just don't feel like I could personally make a good confession because I know I would leave out a lot of things. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I can't remember what I did last week. You're going to ask me to remember six months ago. Oh, I can't even remember what I did earlier today. Like, it's one of those things that when you lay it out that way, it makes, it makes sense. But I had noticed that list and like not listing idea, but now that there's this, uh, a better understanding, I just, I'm like, Oh, that's why. But, And, and the other thing too, is that, you know, people will sometimes say, well, I don't need to go because I don't really do anything wrong. 
Eh, or I don't want to do anything that bad. You know what I mean? And and that is that in itself is also kind of an erroneous or a kind of false catechesis because, um, you know, even though our venial sins can be forgiven by, you know, uh, saying the confidier, I mean, that's what we're doing when we're at mass. If you think about it, even though the confidier and the curie is in the beginning of mass, it is the build up, the lead up, um, you know, uh, to kind of get us prepared to receive the Eucharist. It doesn't, let me be really clear. It doesn't take away mortal sin. Only confession can do that. But I mean, it helps where are some of our venial sins. But the thing is, is that I think that's why you're seeing that is because, and, um, well, I can't really speak too much further on that without incriminating <laughs> certain people, but there is kind of that thought. And that's really, like I said, it's an erroneous catechesis, you know? Um, I mean, and, and it's as simple as without delving really deep into sacramental theology, it's as really as simple as this. Do you think when you stand before judgment, you can just glance over some of the things that you've done? That's just not how it works. You know what I mean? Well, I think that one thing that I know Stacy and I tried really thinking about when we started this podcast is I feel like our, our faith and our relationship with God is always changing and evolving and creating new things. And so the fact that, you know, I want everyone to know I'm the high school youth minister here and yet I'm still learning and I'm still gaining ideas over something so fundamental in our faith, which is the sacrament of confession. You know, like that's something that's like in like the full foundation of our faith is to offer up our sin and seek forgiveness. And, you know, even I'm going through and correcting and being like, why is this this way? And so um, for our listeners out there, please come if you have these questions, you know, come and offer these up because I guarantee you, I don't know everything. Uh, but I think that's a great part about learning and discovering our faith is the fact that we get the freedom to ask. No, definitely. And, you know, when people, you know, talk to me about confession and they say, you know, if they tell me that, like, well, I don't really do anything, you know, that bad. You know what I do? I actually tell them, get yourself an exa a thorough examination of conscience. And then, yeah, you don't have to come back and tell me. But when you do your examination of conscience, you realize how much, how many little things you do that are kind of offensive to God. You might not think they're offensive, but they're offensive to God. You know what I mean? And, and you know, the sad thing is about that sacrament is that has got to be I, I would go on record as saying not only is it the most underrated sacrament we have, it is probably the most underused sacrament we have. Really? And it is it is the key to a, a really, if you want to, I know we've talked about enhancing our spirituality and, and different things in here in our prayer lives before on different podcasts and things, and we share different ideas and, you know, thoughts and things. But if you really want to go deeper and you're stuck, you feel like you're in a rut, with your faith or with your spirituality or even with your relationship with God, go make a good, a great confession, not a good confession, a great confession. What's the difference between a good confession and a great confession? The day before you plan to go do a thorough examination of conscience and then go walk into that confessional the next day and watch how you feel. I mean, that's another, not that it's all based on emotion, but watch how you, how you change. I mean, that is really the key to breaking down a, a lot of obstacles for us in our relationship with God. You know, it's not just like a cliche thing to say like, oh, yeah, sin breaks our relationship with God or it cuts us off from God. No, think about it. It cuts us off from God. I mean, it's it's that serious, you know. Um, but yeah, confession. I highly, highly, you know, recommend it. So... I know. I think um, Father Beto made an amazing comment in his homily a couple weeks back about the um, the commandment that challenges us to love thy neighbor as we love thyself. And a lot of times we, in our short, short, narrow attention here, love thy neighbor, right? Like love thy neighbor. And we hear that part, but we kind of forget to as we the uh, we love thyself. And especially during this time of Advent, which is all preparation 
and we're like looking forward to this. We do, especially with the commercialism here in America, we're all about buying gifts and getting all these things for other people, right? And we're like, oh, I'm going to put so much love into these items that I'm giving to someone else. And yet we sometimes forget to stop and turn it in on ourselves. It is arguably so much harder to gift ourselves with some self-care and for some positive reflection and even some critical reflection of ourself than it is to just go to Kohl's and buy gifts for the people on your list or go to, you know, go do an Amazon run in the middle of the night while you're in bed. Like, oh, I forgot them and do that. And he had made this comment because sometimes, and I know Stacey, I'm sure you've experienced this. Sometimes a homily, a moment just is like, oh, you're speaking solely <laughs> to me right now. Yeah. Oops. And that comment was absolutely true because um, going back to my college students, we did this whole unit on the six elements of self-care. And, you know, there are six categories and one of them was indeed spirituality. And of course, in a college setting, you can't really dive super deep into religion, but you can talk about the concept of spirituality and recognize different faiths and their practices. Applying it as a Catholic, though, for myself, and thinking about my own spiritual self-care, there are things that just given the demands of my life, I didn't even realize I was slacking in my spiritual self-care and things that... You know, here I work, you know, we work to serve teens, teens and uh, kids kindergarten through sixth and we're doing all this work. And then you realize, oh, my gosh, I haven't even done the fundamentals for myself. And I think that's a part of preparation that I'm trying to challenge myself for for the remainder of this Advent season is the energy and the love that I try to put out. Let's bring it in. And really try to correct this so that I can be better prepared and just follow that basic commandment. And that that can be really challenging, especially those who tend to either deflect because they're uncomfortable receiving gifts or What's they just... Hey, no, there's nothing. Exactly, right? <laughs> That's exactly it, right? Like, it's okay to deflect, but then there's also those who, you know, just... They possess more enjoyment when they give instead of receive. You know, like they're just those personalities. And so I, I know for myself, I am. I, I take, I love giving gifts to people. But when it comes back, I'm always like, oh, you didn't have to do that. And then I like backpedal. Like oh I, str I struggle. That's something I've been, as an, especially as an adult. And then an adult who is the godparent to many littles. I have to learn to be a lot more humble because when I see their cute little faces hand me something, it like makes my heart explode and I go, I can't let them see that. Thank you. It's hard. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and and not to like sound like I make a cold right turn, but back to, you know, the confession thing, the other, other thing, you know, uh, when you said about sometimes you go to church, you go to mass and it feels like the priest is not giving a homily, but talking directly to you. So, um, where I go, my buddy for the last like three weeks, I feel like he's been talking to me because he's been talking about, he has been talking about making a confession, but he's also been talking about, um, how when we feel that we can't be forgiven for something or when we doubt that God can forgive or that God will forgive us for something, how we limit, we in turn limit the mercy of God. I mean, and who are we to question? And if you've ever struggled, I think I think I talked about this maybe once before, but there's oftentimes that I struggle with uh, scrupulosity, and and it's really difficult. And a lot of times for me, it comes out of nowhere, and once I kind of get locked in in that mode, it's hard for me to get out of. And I find myself in that trap, and you begin to doubt kind of God's mercy, or you know, um, did I do enough? Am I forgiven? I mean, I know, like, I confessed it. I did my penance. I don't know. I think next time I'm going to mention it again. Well, no, I'm not supposed to be doing that because I already did. Mm -hmm. I was already forgiven. I did the penance. I received the absolution. You know, that, you know, in the in lines with what I was saying earlier about things that we do that are offensive to God, that's offensive to God. You know what I mean? 
Because it's already right there. He's already provided his mercy and forgiveness. And here I am still hung up on it. And there's a fine line in between being hung up on it and being remorseful for something that I did. And I think there's no problem with being remorseful and sorry and having contrition for something that you did. But when you hang on to it, you continue to hang on to it. I think that's when you kind of start to cross into that area, other area of inadvertently. I'm not saying it's a direct thing that you do with God where you question his mercy, but you enter into this other area where essentially that's what you're doing is questioning his infinite mercy and his infinite goodness. Because why? Because you don't feel forgiven. Or like in my case, I should say, I don't feel forgiven. Or I don't feel like I've made enough reparations or mortifications. So that's a real dangerous area we get ourselves into, you know. And it's hard to kind of, you know, it's, I find that, per, I'm speaking personally here, that it's easy to slip into that. It's hard to draw yourself back out. Well, I think that's a the experience that you have gone through uh, is something shared by so many. And I think that's a perfect example of our mortal limitations, right? Like when we think about mortal limitations, we usually think life and death, right? Like if I jump off a building, I probably will die. Like just thinking like that, that's usually our mortal understanding. But when we take mortal limitations and we think about our own mindset and the way we perceive, if we do something truly heinous and we go and receive, offer up a confession, we go through the process, we receive absolution, our sins are forgiven, we are yet still trapped in the mortal trap of our conscience and our memory and our living. And we're like, how on earth can something so great be truly in a place to forgive me for what I did? Because man's mind is absolutely beautiful and horrible at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. It's absolutely the constant cycle of regret and regurgitating and almost dramatizing and making it worse the sin you committed. It's just the, the mental games we play on ourselves are really intense when we've committed a sin and the disbelief that we have of the, you know, yes, we did go to confession, but did it really work? Did this happen? If I die right now, I'm probably going to end up in purgatory, and I doubt it's going to be the really hot lost island that I've mentioned before. It's not. And so it's one of those where when I think about that and I get myself caught up in that hamster wheel post-confession, I have to remind myself that that's just an example of my mortal limitation. Even, like, it doesn't matter what intelligence level you have, right? We all are, that is a shared trait across humanity. We all struggle with that. But but then again, I mean, that is the beauty of Christmas and the, the nativity story, the simplicity of it. And I think it reminds us to take a step back from that human condition and to just take what God gives us and to work with it and to be rest assured that there is a divine plan. Because if not, I mean, where do we go? That's really difficult for us, you know. And our human condition is a real thing. A lot of people don't like to think about it like that. But our human condition is a real thing. And what we were made for and what we were intended for is vastly different than our daily lives now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of faith and a lot of perseverance, you know. And especially with the light of technology where everything becomes more advanced and interconnected and the longevity of human life keeps expanding, right? You know, I think I just saw with BBC News someone lived to be like 122, right? (laughs) That's a long time to be on this earth. And, you know, that was not how humanity was originally designed. And so I think that's something that really challenges us is to be like, okay, well... What do we got here and how do we continue living faith-based lives and trying to do these right things? And I think for some people, that is one of the blessings we've talked to, we've talked before about some of the blessings of the pandemic is that they have gotten back to a more simpler uh, celebration of Christmas, which kind of inadvertently refocuses uh, Christmas on what it is actually meant to be, you know, the birth of Christ. I mean, can you imagine 
being, you know, a, a fateful Jew way back when and and waiting and waiting and waiting and then the savior the messiah finally comes Can you imagine living in that time you know and people complain about these days that we don't see miracles and all this stuff you know sometimes you know i like to people watch sometimes depending on where i am it sounded like a real creeper i'm not a creeper oh no people watching is an amazing yeah. activity yeah like when i'm walking my dogs or something like that right and sometimes i ask myself and and I not I don't ask this of like other people. I ask this actually of myself. Would I even recognize the Messiah if he came today? You know what I mean? If everything you know, you have correlations obviously. You know, to make it something that would fit in in our modern times or the time that we're living in now. I mean, would I recognize it or not? I don't. I probably wouldn't. I'd probably be too distracted by. I don't even know what. But I would very probably miss it easily yeah you know absolutely i it's funny that question i try really hard not to say yes to that and i know this is gonna sound really weird but i don't i don't know if i would be prepared to be given such a divine gift of recognizing the messiah instantly like knowing and looking and be like wow this is him, like this, or this is them, you know, yeah. you know, like this is the Messiah. And I think that I almost would want to be challenged in some way to see and experience and be like, well, there you go. There you go. I think that it's not going to be something where he's just going to come down in a beam of life and be like, what's up? Like, I don't genuinely, <laughs> I genuinely don't think it's going to be something like that, but I think it's going to challenge those to really encounter their faith and be like, yes, this is it. So I don't, I don't think I'd want to be able to recognize it right away. I think I would need to have that mortal challenge. Uh, I, I like a good challenge, but I'm going to pass on this challenge. <laughs> I think I, I would like to think that I would be in tune enough or engaged enough, but I think that I would probably most likely be distracted. I need lots of preparation. I'm a preparer. Same. I mean, I, I just had this discussion with someone yesterday that, you know, I don't like surprises. I don't like the unknown. It's, it's something that is difficult for me. It's something that I think I probably struggle with my whole life. I don't, I do not like surprises. That's actually the worst part of Christmas for me. My husband will put out a gift or like when Katie was still at home, they would put gifts out and they knew that they would torment me because I, I don't know what's in them. <laughs> not that I even wanted anything. But I don't like the, I do not like the unknown. So I don't have an issue with surprises, but my issue is I am the living cliche of when we make plans, God laughs. Um, because I am a planner. I like knowing like, okay, we're going to go down this pathway. And if this doesn't work, here's plan B. And if that doesn't work, here's plan C. And there's C, uh, C, A, C, B, C, C, you know, like all the different potentials. And I know I mentioned it on the past, uh, past podcast before, but I do challenge myself with like worst case scenario. Like if the worst is going to happen, what does it look like? And I like go oh, through and plan. And it's not a very optimistic mindset, but it's definitely one where it's just, I need that regulation. I like to call it being practical. Right? Thank you. But I do know it does come from a place of doubt and it comes from a place of insecurity and a lack, a lack of faith in some ways. And, you know, very recently there were so many things that, you know, we, in that examination of conscience, you also can't help but like examine your life and how things have turned out. And don't get me wrong. I have a very beautiful life. I, I know my blessings and I'm very grateful for them. But there were giant things I thought would have happened to this point that not only didn't happen, but will not happen due to just the fact that people die and people leave. And so you're just kind of like, oh, shoot. And it's like, like suddenly there's this whole new range that like the worst case scenario happened. What happens now? And I think that's been a huge part of this preparation is like, how do you recover when your best envisioned plans just flush down life's toilet? And I know that sounds crass, but 
it's literally sometimes you just have to look at it for what it is. Well, obviously things don't work out like people plan. I live in California. That's like the ultimate of like <laughs> not, not planned at all. You know what I mean? But look at how lucky we are to have you here, hanging with me in this cold oh, building. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I actually remember being in college and like right before graduating, we were all talking about what we were going to do and people were talking about, I mean, some people were moving to different places, you know, not really moving back to where they were from and I was just like, well, I know one thing, I'll never live in California. Psych! Yeah, I mean, you know, talk about God having a sense of humor, that wasn't even on my radar, you know, and now, you know, I'm way over here out west, so, I don't know, you know, but, but, you know, we've been on a tangent for a little bit, but. Well, I think it all comes back with preparation. (laughs) We all talked about, you know, preparation isn't only just preparing for the baby Jesus or when Jesus returns. It's just about preparing your spiritual self and your physical self. And not, I'm not talking about fitness video prep. I'm talking like your actual physical life and the choices that we do, the jobs we have, the people we choose to have in our life. Those are some brutal things to face. Yeah. I mean, I often have to confess that when, you know, go to see my confessor that, you know, I, I struggle with putting God first, you know, cause there's more, there's more to putting God first than just going to mass on Sunday and holy days and saying your prayers every day. I mean, there's so many ways that I fall short each and every day. I mean, it's not even funny. There's a lot of ways. It's actually kind of a good look. I'm not prone to depression because there's a lot of ways, but, um, you know, but in the spirit of being prepared, I mean, for Advent, I I do like that we have kind of the church has these special seasons that I feel, uh, really kind of call us back to like our roots, so to speak, and make us get back on the wagon from, you know, slacking for a while and kind of recharge us. Especially if you're someone like me who struggles with, you know, like I said, putting God first and in all your decisions and all your actions and things like that. I mean, you know, I remember, I don't remember how old I was when I first heard of uh, St. Well, she's St. Now, but Sister Faustina Kowalska for, you know, the Divine Mercy um, revelations. And, you know, I always had a hard time with that. But then this kind of sounds sacrilegious, but now I remember telling my friend, I was like, you know what? Not that I'm holy enough for the Lord to appear to me, but if he did, that's the kind of message he would give me. Trust in me. Because he knows there's no way I could do that. And that would be super hard. If he was like, <laughs> go and like build a cathedral with your own hands, I'd be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to look up how to become a stonemason. But trust in me, that's hard. You know, it's like mm-hmm. way hard. And, um, that was a devotion that took me a long time to get on board with because not because I didn't believe in it. It was just like, wow, that's, that's so difficult. I would rather like, you know, prosecute heretics or be part of crusades or (laughs) something else before I just said, okay, Jesus, I trust in you. I think trust in me. Trust in me would be difficult in all situations, right? Like trust in me in either if you're like you're having like a high of your life, everything's doing super good, the people in your life are well and happy. Still hearing that, you'd be like, mm, okay, like I'm still going. But it's even more challenging when you have trust in me and you're in facing like rejection, loss, like the lack of faith in the basic elements of your life. Having that, it takes such bravery. To come back and be like, okay, I'm I'm going. Let's well, try. I mean, you wonder where I'm going with that, that that was like off topic. is because, I mean, really think about it. I mean, that's really the only preparation that Mary and Joseph had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, you know, the age-old thing that my mom used to, my mom used to say to me that I couldn't stand. The Lord will provide. Well, hold on a minute. <laughs> hold on a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sure he will. But I need more than the Lord will provide. Like, that's asking a lot of me. And I remember my mom was like fussing at me. She's like, don't you say that. That's like taking the Lord's name in vain and like all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm just saying I can't do that. Like I need, I need a little bit more, but that speaks to, you know, what I was talking about earlier about how I don't like surprises. I, you know, I don't like the unknown 
uh, or even, you know, the message, Jesus, I trust in you. As, that is a lot. It takes a lot to be able to, you know, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to be able to do it. Well, as I've gotten older, I've, I've developed this, like, almost like, not only an understanding, but almost like a, like, sib- like not sibling, but like familial understanding for the um, doubting Thomas right? It's like, when I was younger, I remember first hearing that story. I was like, what a dummy. You didn't know it was Jesus. Like, in my head, like, little Rachel was like, well, duh. And now as an adult, I, I totally get where Thomas is coming from. Like, here he shows up late. He finds, everyone's looking at him. I'm like, no, no, there's no way. You, you guys, no. And it's just, you know, especially now, facing our modern times, right, where we have to have a label and a definition for everything, I'd be like, well, you're in denial or you're, you know, you're uh, processing your grief and manifesting it to this imagined vision of Christ. Like, I would be trying every which way to explain what they saw without realizing, oh, shoot, it actually is that simple. He came back. And here are the hands and the wound on the side. You're like, Wow. Like I as a I've gotten older. Thomas, I get you. I'm sorry. Yeah, and you wanna be like, I wouldn't be that guy. Like, you know? But oh. you know in the back of your mind you're like you'll be like when you're like uh you know when you're like either in school or like not a year older, so you like you go to a conference or something and like you're like, Clearly I have a really dumb question but I don't wanna ask it, but then someone else does and you're like <laughs> <laughs> Better them than me, but you're like Thank you, random guy. Thank you, rando. <laughs> Thank you, rando. Yeah, right? Yep, absolutely. But that's something else, ironically, that I've been thinking about this Advent is that I've been trying to get better with that because, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm married. I had a kid. I couldn't imagine. I mean, well, I kind of could, could imagine because I, I read all the books and everything, and I wanted to do, like, the dry run at a hospital, and my husband was like, we don't need to do that. And I'm like, I'm not from here. I don't know where stuff is. And he's like, but I know where stuff is. And then, yeah, lo and behold, guess what? He went to the wrong hospital on that night. Ah! So, <laughs> and blamed it on me and thought and said, I thought you said you were delivering that whatever Sierra Vista or where? I don't know. I think he went to French and we were supposed to be at Sierra Vista or something other. So, I mean, I identify with the, you know, the whole or I, actually, I, let me back up. I don't identify, but I need to be better with how Mary and Joseph was that, you know, it was just like, hey, there's no room at the end, you know, and um, and talking about um, things not going according to plan. I mean, even in biblical times, I'm fairly certain a stable or a manger was like not their first choice for like the birthing quarters. No. You know what I mean? So even looking back at their times, you know, things don't go according to your plan as a, you know, as a, as a human. It's just, it, it doesn't always jive with the human condition. You know what I mean? Yeah. As much as we wish we could say, have every single scenario planned out, there's always going to be a monkey wrench that's thrown in. I mean, look at the pandemic. We have, for many of us, we had five-year plans and all these things. You're like, oh, this is what we're going to do and live and build our careers, build our families, do X, Y, and Z. And then we had an 18-month shutdown of the world. And we had to suddenly do deal with that. You know, um, I one my best friend, she got pregnant during the pandemic. And, you know, it was a big blessing for their family. But the doctors originally with their protocol said that her um, husband was not going to be able to be in the room with her when she delivered, given the COVID protocols. They're going to be like, he can be there because if you need an X amount of nurses and doctor team and her. And I remember her calling me crying like, no, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this without him. I need him here. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, you get him, girl, girl, like, blah, blah. And great, fortunately, the hospital was able to let him be with her. But I couldn't imagine feeling like, okay, we're having this baby, we're doing this. And then you're told he can't be with you. Not in because of the COVID protocol. You're like, <gasps> like, it's something so not a part of the plan. And thank goodness it worked out for them. And little Lorenzo came to the world nice and safely. But 
it was, it was, I remember hearing that call and suddenly think, wow, my plans are hijacked over something so out of their control. But the beauty of it is that, I mean, I'm in no way claiming to be intelligent or be the smartest person or anything like that. I can honestly sit back and, and say that when things have not worked out, it is probably 99% of the time a good thing it didn't work out how I envisioned. You know, and I think I've spoke before and people that know me uh, really well know that, like, I would never um, delete or erase or do over any of the bad things in my life because if I do, I have to I have to give up in many instances um, many blessings that are tied to those those things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the trade off wouldn't would no way be worth it uh, for me, you know. Um, and and I I think when I mentioned that before, you know, I also said I wasn't trying to be cliche and say that God always has a plan because that's one of those things like I told y'all pet peeves that you know I don't really I don't really care for that uh, type of um, kind of sentiment because that that's uh to subscribe to that theory uh subscribes to sometimes that we deserve hurt and i don't think that we always do it's just a consequence of something else but it's not you know yeah it's not a punishment from god for something that we have done so to speak you know and and that's why um you know i think looking at advent and trying to prepare as much as we can you know gives us hope and I think that it's actually, I'm actually impressed with my own self that I thought about Advent the way I did this year because I am such, I wouldn't say I'm a doom and gloomer, but I can sometimes get a little too serious about things. And, and it does kind of remind me, you know, to, to remind myself that, you know, there is a lot of hope involved, you know, mm-hmm. and there should be, and hope should definitely be a component of my preparation, you know. I think, too, one thing, you know, we operate off a 12-month year. You know, we as humanity, we're always going off 12 months and going through. And by this time, we kind of get on this like high for prep for Christmas. But we also are dealing with a lot of crappy things that could have happened during the year. Even if it was a pretty decent year, you could easily be trying to recover from great deals of, like, Failure, loss, weakness, poor health, all those things. And so I think that's one of the beautiful things about Advent is that it's it's almost like we're re-sparking the hope. A hope that will make the new this new time better for us. And, you know, I'm, I don't want to be a hypocrite by any means, but it's easy to get bogged down by those day-to-day rejections and the day-to-day resentments. And they're like, oh, it's never going to get better than this. I have to settle. There's nothing better. And then you're like, wait, that's not what this is about at all. We're not preparing to settle. You know, this time of I'm and we're not preparing to just be like, all right, what we've got. No, we're preparing with this hope for something so much greater than our mortal understanding. And even our dreams and our hopes, it's bigger. And you just have to have that reminder. No, uh, no doubt. And that's why the song that I pick, 126, one of the things where we're out of time, because we talked about everything and nothing at the same time today. What? Yeah, we, we talked about no, a lot. No disrespect. But, <laughs> uh, but the last stanza that we read was, Deliver us, O Lord, from our bondage as streams in dry land. Those who are sowing in tears will sing when they reap. And so one of the reasons that I picked 126 was the fact that the other the other sad thing is, I think as we get older, we have this romanticized idea of Christmas, mm-hmm. of the, the nativity and, you know, whatever mass is the mass we choose for our, for our obligation. And we get older and we, every time we come to the Christmas tree and to our home, there's someone missing or there's someone who can't be there, or there's something different. And I liked the way, you know, the psalmist talks about God delivering us from our bondage and that those who sowed in tears will reap, because I think that's the one thing that we can actually do that's positive for us as Catholics at Christmas time is when we come 
you know, when we stand around the Christmas tree or we're in our, like, you know, uh, family homes or we're at Mass to remind ourselves when we kind of get sad about who is no longer with us or who just can't physically be there this year or what's different, what we are actually celebrating. Because I I I mean, I'm guilty of that myself, having this romanticized idea of Christmas. And you want it to be where everybody's got the best Christmas ever. We've Mm -hmm. all got at least one. Yep. And each year we we would be kind of delusional when we think that we're not trying to replicate, whether we're conscious of it or not, we're trying to replicate that best Christmas ever, you know. And I think when you know you can't for one, it's more than likely not going to happen. You might have a better one, but when you try to do that, it's always kind of subpar. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's really funny you said that uh, because I I have the best. Christmas fail for trying to recreate something. But instead of recreating, I tried manufacturing and creating one for myself. And it's so bad. I even included it in my book. It's a bad date. So everyone knows, you know, with the Christmas time, there's always a little romance and all this stuff. And I had been dating this guy. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to take him and do one of my favorite things, a Christmas tree date. And in my head, I like had this whole vision of like, we're going to go pick out the tree. We're going to load it in his truck. We're going to take it to my place, decorate it together. And I have like a little Christmas snuggle. Like in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be perfect. Except, okay, in my head, it went all Hallmark movie. Except in real life, it was in the middle of the giant San Fernando fires. So there was just smoky ash, like with ash, like raining down during December. The guy had my, this guy I've been dating, he had been exhausted from my working a ton of jobs. And I went on this date and I was worried about my students because their homes were burning. I was just so not in the mindset. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this happen. And I kept forcing the issue. I just kept forcing and it's one of my problems, but I went to go pay for the tree and my card got declined. I'm like, what? And so I quickly am checking my online baking and there had been an issue with my paycheck where it was going to load the next day, not that day. And I was like, I have this guy here and I made him go out of his way to take me, blah, blah. And I couldn't just take a tree right no so I had to find a way to explain to him like okay we're not bringing this tree back so I walked back and instead of being honest and saying oh my card got declined I said the tree was ugly he went what and I said I didn't like it I didn't buy it well he had been very sweet and he's like you know what I found three other tree farms let's go check them out and of course because I didn't want to tell the truth I was like, oh, we'll make this happen. And in my head, I'm like looking at my different apps, seeing like all my cards were like nothing to afford a tree. I go through and I'm ruining this date because I'm not telling the truth. I'm just like, this one's too fat. This one's smoky. Why would you pick that? And I'm just being hypercritical, avoiding the fact I didn't want to be truthful about my money at all. And I had, that was a great deal of pride. I'm like, nope, not going to cross it. Ultimately, he snaps at me. Because it was fair. I had totally deserved it. And he drove me home. And we were like in relative silence. And we never went out romantically again after. Because I looked insane. I was just so focused on hiding my truth of I'm super broke. And I ended up ruining things in this newly developing relationship. Well, fast forward about a month and a half. And we went out for a beer. And I told him, because I had a good drink in, I confessed. I'm like, I'm so sorry. He's like, for what? I'm like, I was insane. It was because I didn't, my card got declined and I was embarrassed to tell you. And he felt so bad. He was like, Rach, I would have paid for it. Like, I can't believe blah, blah. And I was just so scared because I didn't want to tell the truth. I designed this Hallmark movie moment in my head for buying a Christmas tree. I just flushed it down the toilet. So to bring it back to this, it's just don't let those hangups get you. I'm so glad I don't watch the whole my channel. That's what you got out of this? Not the fact that I was a bad dater, Stace? No. Still am. Was is not the correct word. Am a bad dater. 
yeah. I don't even know what to say right now. Um, Just don't let the, don't let the creation of these memories or memories that you don't even have get you in a funk in your real relationships and the real people. It's a big fail. Yeah, and I think sometimes creating new memories is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Or creating new traditions. You know what I mean? So. All these good things. Well, guys, I can't believe we're out of time. I mean, this was a really good um, Advent podcast, I feel like. I mean, like, it wasn't as good as last year. But we, no, it was different. It wasn't as good as last year, but in the spirit of Rachel and I being two separate people, we <laughs> talked about it. We did everything and nothing all at once. I feel like that's a perfect we way to describe us. Yeah, and you get to hear us. You get to hear our our very insightful thoughts, right? I don't know they're insightful today. Listen, we hit confession. We hit failed Christmas tree dates. We hit the works. You have failed Christmas tree dates. Let's be accurate. Wow. Just throw yeah. me under that bus. There's not a bus to throw under because I would never go on a Christmas tree date. I love Christmas trees, but that's a whole other thing. And I'm not going to bother our podcast listeners for this, but we are going to close out with this yeah, Advent prayer. next week when we talk about the perfect Christmas tree date? <sighs> Shut up. oh my gosh good lordy all right but we do have uh, we are gonna have a guest next week which will be great i hope so that's the plan but again we're being prepared for both pathways as you're either gonna get me and stace and me stace and a guest so you'll find out but uh here we have a little advent prayer for you to close out tonight in the name of the father son and the holy spirit lord god we adore you because you have come to us in the past You have spoken to us in the law of Israel. You have challenged us in the words of the prophets. You have shown us in Jesus what you are really like. Lord God, we adore you because you still come to us now. You come to us through other people and their love and concern for us. You come to us through men and women who need our help. You come to us as we worship you with your people. Lord God, we adore you because you will come to us at the end. You will be with us at the hour of death. You will still reign supreme when all human institutions fail. You will still be God when our history has run its course. We welcome you, the God who comes. Come to us now in the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Guys, this has been Trial by Fire with your hosts, Stacey and Rachel. Have a beautiful week. See you all next week.